All right, welcome to New Life Church. If you love Jesus, you believe we serve the God of the impossible, would you just make some noise wherever you are right now? Yeah. And my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors. I just want to welcome everybody who's here at our Kearney campus. Uh, and by the way, if you're listening from elsewhere, this is your very first time. It is pronounced Kearney, Kearney, Nebraska. We got some weird names of cities we live in. It's Kearney. It's Ogallala, and it's North Platte, all right? (laughs) And then we have a church online. We are so glad that you're watching today if you're joining us from home. It's a great day to be uh, together or to be not together and worshiping Jesus. Well, we're in week number two of our teaching series, God of the Impossible. We just, I just loved hearing everybody lift up their voices that you believe that we serve the God of the Impossible. And so let me just set up the message today and where we're going with asking you a question. Have you ever tried to do something, tried to accomplish something that seemed impossible? At all of our locations online, just lift up your hand. Have you ever tried to do something that was impossible? You can remember. Have you seen any of these eating challenges? Something like this. You go to a restaurant and they say, if you can finish, look how big that hamburger is. Come on. I'm getting hungry, but man, if you finish, if you finish this burger, it's free, right? Uh, anybody ever try one of those things? I, I have a friend that did one of those eating challenges, a big tank, you know, buckets of ice cream. Unbelievable. You know, there's some things that are impossible for us to accomplish, and and for me, there's a few things I want to share, confess to you. Right now, today, I'm I'm trying to get into better shape. I'm working out again. Uh, I've said, you know, I've I've said in my life that that, uh, I've lost hundreds and hundreds of pounds over my lifetime. How many are ever with me? And I always seem to find, you know, if I lost 100 pounds, I find 101 eventually, and that happens when I'm trying to get back in shape. But right now, I'm not in good enough shape to run a six-minute mile. Some of you that can run a six-minute mile, I can't do it. Physically impossible. My body would not allow me to do it, right? Uh, Another thing that's impossible for me to do is to run a seven-minute mile. (laughs) Another thing that's impossible for me to do is to, I won't go any further on the miles, but but to hike Mount Everest, it's something I've watched documentaries of that. I just physically can't do it, financially can't do it. My, my wife would kill me if I used all of our savings in retirement to hike Mount Everest. Don't have enough resources or physical fitness to do that. Landing an airplane. Today, if, I, if we were flying in an airplane with Pastor Jeff, who could land an airplane very safely for us, and it's funny that whenever I fly with him, I, I have this kind of thought, like, I, I hope that, like, his heart's in good shape, you know, that he's feeling good today. But uh, landing an airplane safely, if you were with me, I mean, I think I could land it, but I can't promise we would land safely, right? Uh, performing brain surgery, it's something that I can't do. It's just impossible for me to do. I'm not sure why I picked brain surgery, because I think any surgery you don't want me doing, but... Those are some things that are impossible for me to do, but with the right training, the right education, right, the right workout regime, given enough time, with the right amount of money and resources, those, those things I could probably maybe accomplish. Maybe Mount Everest might be a stretch, but I can potentially accomplish some of those things, and the impossible would turn into possible. But then there are some things in our life that just absolutely, no matter how much money, we can't be 
rich enough, smart enough, we can't have enough resources, enough connections. It's just completely impossible for us to do. And that's where we're going to catch up with one of the main characters in this series. His name is Daniel, and we're looking at Daniel chapter number 2. And during this time, Daniel's still a teenager. Just to catch you up from last week when we kicked off this message, uh, Daniel is a Jewish teenager at this point. He, he loves God with all of his heart. It's around 605 B.C. that the armies of Babylon came and they took over Jerusalem and they conquered that kingdom. And Daniel and some of his friends were abducted and they were taken back to the capital city, back to Babylon. And they were being trained and groomed to be some of the king's wise men. And this king, he was evil, wicked. Um, he was leading the most wicked kingdom that has ever existed throughout history and very narcissistic, very, very just evil king. And he's taken off to this place, this man of God, this young, young man of God who loved God with all of his heart, finds himself in a place far from home that's going to challenge every God-centered value that he has in his life. It sounds a little bit like going off to college sometimes, right? You're going to go off and everything that you believe about the Bible and about God, your biblical worldview, if you're a Christian growing up in that, is challenged. This is to the extreme of college, right? He's in an evil, wicked empire serving under this regime that's very evil and wicked. In chapter number two, if you have your Bible, so I'm going to encourage you to open them up, get your phone out, go to the Version Bible app, click, click on events, and then how you find New Life Church is just simply enter uh, our zip code or search New Life Church, Kearney, North Platte, or Galala. You're going to find the notes, and you can follow along. Hit save, and you can come back to them uh, later this week. And in chapter number two, this evil, wicked, narcissistic king, he has these dreams that's very frustrating, very concerning. He's stressed out, facing all kinds of anxiety about these dreams. He can't sleep. So he calls this group of men that Daniel's a part of this group. There's a lot of these guys. Daniel's not in this story yet, but he calls some of his wise men together, and they're made up of these uh, magicians and sorcerers and enchanters and astrologists and all kinds of different occultic arts. He, he calls them in, and he says, to them, I've had this, this dream, and it's concerning to me, and so I want you to tell me the meaning of my dream. Now, how many of you have had a dream that you try to, you try to evaluate, what on earth does this dream mean? I have this reoccurring dream that I can fly. Let's go back to landing the airplane. I have the dream that I can fly, and, and it's not flying an airplane. I have a dream that I can actually myself fly. Anybody else have a reoccurring flying dream? All right, it's me and my friend here on the middle, right? <laughs> I have this dream, and it keeps coming back, and it's the same dream every time that I'm going down the interstate, and when I get to an overpass, I can fly over the overpass, but the way I fly is like doggy paddle swimming. I mean, that's how I'm able to fly, and that's my dream, and so you try to figure out, what, what does that mean? What does that mean, you know? Um, and so he's, he's like, you know, not only tell me, though, what my dream means, he says, I want you to tell me what my dream was. And they're like, no, 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 you got to tell us your dream. Tell us your dream, and we're going to tell you what your dream means. And he says, no, first you tell me what my dream is. Crazy, huh? Among other dynamic, or demonic practices that these, these guys would use to help the king answer the questions that he had, dreams were a big deal. 
He would often interpret dreams. In fact, the king would not make any decision in his life without consulting these guys. Anytime he had a dream, he would go to these guys and say, what does the dream mean? And what does it say about what I should do? And in fact, the Babylonians, these men called the Baru, they would keep extensive dream books and write down the history of these dreams and the interpretation and then it end up, what ended up happening as a result of that. And so these interpretations was a big deal. And so they were used to the king asking them about his dreams, but this was different. This was an impossible request. Don't just tell me what my dream means. I want you to tell me what my dream was. Crazy, huh? I mean, how many had a dream last night? At all of our locations, you know, you had a dream last night, raise your hand. Anybody have a dream that you actually remember, you know? You know how dreams, you kind of lose them. I dream something. But what would you do if somebody came up to you in church or called you or texted you on the phone right now and said, hey, this was, and they start outlining, giving you the details of your dream, right? I mean, that would be, that would be incredible. That sounds impossible. Well, this request from the king, these guys says, listen, you tell us the meaning of the dream, or tell us the dream, we'll tell you the meaning, but what you're asking is impossible. In fact, the scripture says what the king demanded was impossible. And the king became angry. Look what he says in verse 12. He says, this made, this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. They weren't there with them, but now the king has ordered that all of these guys, all of them, be killed. So let me ask us collectively, what is the most impossible situation that we have faced as a society, as a nation, together over the last hundred or so years? Was it the Civil War, if we go back in history? Was it the Great Depression where people lost all of their income and their jobs and it's just life? Was it World War II? Was it Vietnam? Was it 9-11? Now we're getting to where some of us live through these things. Some of you are like, I live through some of those other things too. <laughs> Is it covid I mean, we've faced some things as a nation that seem just impossible. And once again, it seems like in our nation there's things stirring up that seems like an impossibility. And if you're listening to this at a later date, uh, you know, just this last week in Minneapolis, a man named George Floyd, a black man, was killed. And it's, it's incited, rightfully so, some emotions in our culture and our society and for us that live kind of in middle America, we're somewhat, you know, we're somewhat insulated from some of the, these things that are going on, in, especially in urban centers. But I believe it forces us at least, at the very least, to evaluate our hearts, to say, God, as the psalmist said, to search my heart, oh God. Know me. Know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous way in me. I believe that's something I want to challenge every single one of you as a follower of Jesus to take this opportunity not to get into political debate necessarily, but to let God shine his light upon the situation of your own heart. 
And I think where we're going to go, actually, I know where we're going to go today and how Daniel walked through an impossible situation that seems like our nation is in, and especially some of the communities elsewhere in our country are walking through in, a, you know, in the aftermath of some of the craziness that's going on. As followers of Christ, we're going to look at some principles that Daniel had, 605 B.C. that Daniel had, that if we can enact these things in our life and make a huge difference and it'll help us face these impossible situations. So let me bring it closer to home. What is the most impossible situation that you yourself have ever faced? I want you to capture a picture of it in your mind. Some of you don't like to think back to that moment. I want you to think back to the moment, one of the most challenging, the most impossible situations. I'm thinking of something that my wife and I walked through. Do you have it? And as you're thinking about it, I, I, I want you to know this. It's not about comparing how impossible your situation is to someone else in, in the room or someone else that's a, that, that you know or in your family or even to Daniel in his impossible situation. But I want to ask you this question. What about that situation made it impossible? Why are you defining that situation as impossible? And the reason I'm asking you that is really to set up your heart as we look at Daniel's story because it's human nature for us to, net, to, to view impossibility from a very physical, temporary lens of this life now. And let me give you an example. If you were to go to the doctor for just a routine physical and all of a sudden the doctor comes in and they say, we have to do some more tests, they do some more tests and they come back to you with the news that you have an incurable disease, and not only that, you have 30 days to live. I mean, just come right out of the blue, this unexpected, impossible situation that you're facing. You have 30 days to live. Let me ask you, which is the bigger challenge? What is the impossibility of that situation? Is the bigger challenge physical healing? That you somehow miraculously would be healed by the scientifically confirmed incurable disease that you have? Is it physical healing? Or, or is it a bigger impossibility that you would be able to walk through, or a bigger miracle that you would be able to walk through the last month of your life with a growing heart and passion and trust that God is in control, that he is God of the impossible? naturally for us, we think with our natural mind that the bigger thing is, is, is physical healing. Now, let me just tell you, a story of miraculous physical healing absolutely shines the light on the fact that God can do anything. How many believe God can do anything? He can do anything. And so the physical healing, when God does that, man, it just shines a light on the, the fact that he is the God of the impossible. And I've seen it in my own life that happen. But get this. God's omnipotence, and by the way, his omnipotence is the fact that he is all-powerful. He can do anything. He's the God of the impossible. His omnipotence is not in jeopardy if you die in 30 days. Or if you lose the job. Or if you're never able to have biological children like you desire. Or whatever the impossibility, the thing that in the natural that you want to see happen, if it doesn't happen, the ability of God to accomplish anything is not in jeopardy. So when we think of impossible, our human nature is just so physic, uh, fixated on the natural, on the here and the now, and the what we want God to do in our physical life. It's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, he said that it's, it's very difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Very difficult. Why? 
Because the focus of the life of the rich man is on this life now and what he has. So humanly speaking, Jesus is saying this is impossible. But I love the next thing that Jesus says. Because when we shift in our life, our temporary, you know, human-centric focus and infatuation, and Jesus steps in and becomes the source of our faith and the object of our faith, everything changes. And look what Jesus said about the impossibility. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. What? For the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But with God, what's the next word? Everything. Everything is possible. Everything is impossible. In fact, if memory serves my right, serves me right, the only thing in the Bible that says is impossible for God is lying. In fact, the word impossible is not a regular part of God's vocabulary in Scripture. It's only found nine times, if memory serves me right, in, in, in Scripture, that actual word translated to be impossible. It's not a part of God's natural you know, vocabulary. But God can do anything. God can do anything that's not against his nature. And so when God does the impossible, especially in the natural, whether it's healing, whether it's rescue, whether it's revealing the dream and what the dream was to Daniel, we see that as incredible, right? It's unbelievable. It's incredible. So which is more incredible? For God to calm the storm or for God to calm you in the middle of the storm? I think somebody should write a song about that. That's a joke because there is a song about that, all right? <laughs> Laugh about that. Let me make a note. Don't use that joke anymore. People don't know that song, all right? It, which is more significant for Jesus to rescue you physically, to rescue eternally, right? And Jesus healed a man in Matthew chapter 9. I, I love this story. You can read it for yourself. But there's this man, he couldn't walk. And Jesus, what he says to him, I mean, it says in Scripture, this man was lame, he couldn't walk. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Now, if you were to write the story, wouldn't you say, hey, Jesus, you know, this man was a sinner. And Jesus said, no, he said he was paralyzed, he couldn't walk. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees, these religious people that thought he was blaspheming God, who is he to forgive sin? Jesus looked at them, and here's the point. He said to them, Jesus, knowing what they were thinking, said, which is easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? In other words, it's a rhetorical question. The bigger miracle here is the internal miracle of forgiveness of sins. The biggest miracle is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the the and antithesis of our human nature being walked out as we're going to see in Daniel's life. And then he goes on to say, but so that you will know that I have the authority to forgive sins. And he healed the man. Why did he heal the man in that moment? Was to display his glory and authority to forgive sins. The real miracle being the forgiveness of sins. And so many of you believe. I asked you already and you, you, you gave it up, your answer. Many of you believe God can do anything. Let me just ask one more time to set you up, make sure we're all together. How many believe God can do anything? Right. Yeah, some of you aren't so sure. Oh, where's he going? God can do anything. And, and so many of you believe God can do anything, but maybe the bigger question is, will he? Will he do the impossible thing that I want him to do, that I'm asking him to do, that I'm praying for him to do? You see, the problem is, and there's nothing wrong with that question, but the problem is when that question comes from a place of 
defining our faith by what God does, by the will he question. And so when we let the will he and then the did he determine our trust in the God of the impossible, we get into a lot of trouble because, you see, human nature says that if he can and he didn't, if he could but he didn't, then there must be something wrong with his character and nature. I'm not really sure I trust him because if he can do anything, then why doesn't he? I thought this whole sermon, this whole message was was to figure out a way to manipulate God to do impossible things for me. And so I'm going to give you the answer today to will he. How many want the answer to will he? Will he do the impossible thing in your life? Yeah, I don't know. That's the answer. I don't know. I don't know. And so here's the point. It might feel counterintuitive, but the most powerful cornerstone of your faith question and and really statement of your faith is not, I know he will, but I believe he is in control even when everything seems out of control. And so he he is the God of the impossible. That's the series. God of. Everybody say of. He's God of the impossible, meaning not just he is God who can do the impossible, but he has a complete authority. He's God of every impossible situation. The situation you're facing in your life that's impossible, whether it's your health, finances, relationship, whether it's society and what's going on in our nation, every impossible situation, he is the God who is in control. And so Daniel, he knew this. And I want you to know it like Daniel knew it. Daniel faced throughout this, just this one chapter, several choices. And because of his decisions, we're going to be able to get some takeaways from Daniel that I believe really will help you out in your life. And here's the spoiler. Daniel got it right every single time. And some people in scripture, we get to learn from their mistakes. How many have learned from your own mistakes in life, right? Well, Daniel, it's kind of a breath of fresh air. We get to learn from this guy who got it right almost every single time, and he gets it right every time here. Every decision that he made predicated on his faith and trust that God is in control, no matter how out of control everything seems. In the midst of the story, though, this is what I love, that God, he's going to show off by crushing what was humanly impossible. Verse 14, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with what? With wisdom and discretion. Daniel is just finding out that this crazy king makes this impossible ask, and the the final outcome is every one of the wise men, including me, are going to be put to death. And notice, though, he doesn't freak out. That's what stands out to me here. He doesn't freak out. He's calm, and he responds from wisdom and with wisdom and with tact. Then look what happens in verse 15. He asked Arioch, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? Can I say it in a much more calming voice? Why has the king issued... Such a harsh decree. I'm not sure if he was that calm, but he was calm. He's wisdom. So Arioch told him all that had happened, and Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time. That's some wisdom right there. More time to tell the king what 
what the dream meant. Daniel, in this moment, he faces a choice, a decision that he's got to make. How am I going to react? How am I going to respond in this situation? And it it gives us guidance. And here's the first principle. I want you to write this down and just kind of remember that is to choose wisdom over reaction. Everybody say that. Choose wisdom over reaction. Wisdom over reaction. And so let me ask you this question. What is your default move when you're faced with the unexpected, right? When you're faced with the impossible, when something comes out of left field, right? You get a call. You, something happens in your life and you're faced with the unexpected. Do you respond with wisdom or is there a reaction? And by reaction, you know what I mean because that word, it, it, means this, it, it means this kind of quick response that's not thoughtful, that's just reactionary out of emotions or fear? What is your default response when you're faced with bad news, difficult news, trying situation? Now, I realize that, you know, personalities are different, and to some degree, personalities can influence. How do you respond to a situation? Some people need a little more time to process than other people, but I believe that God wants you not to live by your personality, by the way that you're conditioned in your life, by your history. He wants to give you, actually, the Bible says that we are to be influenced not by anything else, but by the Holy Spirit, right? We are to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit's influencing us, he gives us the fruit of the Holy Spirit that comes out of our life. Love, joy, peace, patience is one of those. And so do you freak out or have you stored up wisdom that informs your response to an impossible situation? I mean, that's a good inventory to take in the way that you react to things. You see, wisdom tells me that God is in control no matter who's in charge. I mean, we can certainly see that in the life of Daniel. Can you see that? God is in control no matter who is in charge. And let me just say, especially for those of you who are followers of Jesus, we need to take this kind of, uh, this kind of faith and trust to heart. As some of you are freaking out about the elections that are coming. Some of you are freaking out about the elections that, that happened in the past, that God must be losing control or Satan is getting one up on God. No, 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 no. God is in control no matter who is in charge. Wisdom said God is, says God is bigger than the situation I'm facing physically, financially, relationally, mentally, in my mind, the emotions that I'm walking through. God is bigger than that. He is God of the impossible situation. Wisdom calms my fears and gives me courage to speak to kings. When faced with the impossible, Daniel, he modeled a great behavior for us that was more than just a behavior it was something that came deep within him he chose wisdom over reaction and Daniel did that because he knew he served the God who is in charge in the middle of the impossible and you can make that same choice can I just encourage you today God is a God who wants to give you wisdom James the book of James God says if you lack wisdom ask God he's not going to hold it back from you but he's going to give it to you Daniel faces another choice in the story. What am I going to do now? Right? I've bought some more time from the king, and look what happens in verse 17. It says, Then Daniel went home and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, also known as Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, what had happened. And he urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret. So 
so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. Did you notice what Daniel's reaction was? He had wisdom, and then what did he do? He, he had faced this decision. He had bought himself some time, right? Now he's got to produce. So what is, what's the decision that he's presented to make? I mean, he could try to figure things. He'd try, try to figure out how to run away to escape, right? He could scheme to see if anybody knows the secret, if the king like, has leaked this information to anybody. He could try to figure it out on his own intellect. He could try to smooth talk the king like the other guys did. But once again, Daniel shines a spotlight on his faith in the God of the impossible. And here's the principle that we just read in Scripture, the principle takeaway we can learn from Daniel. And it's this, to choose prayer over strategy. To choose prayer over strategy. There's nothing wrong with strategy. God is going to give you the plans that he wants you to enact, but his go-to was prayer. And what, is that, what does that say to us? Is that David depended upon God. That's why he prayed. He depended upon God instead of his own ability to get him out of the mess, to figure it out, to talk his way out. It was impossible for Daniel to know the secret dream of the king. I mean, how insane to think that he could figure that out on his own. And he thought perhaps God will show off his glory, display his glory by letting him in on the secret. So he chose prayer over strategy. Can I encourage you to let that be a part of your response to the impossible things in your life? Another thing we learned, we just read it in Scripture, is this, to choose together over alone. Everybody say together. We are better together. It's one of our values at New Life. And Daniel, Daniel knew this value years ago, 2,600 years ago, right? I love that he gets his friends together to pray along with him. He calls his friends. He says, let's ask God. Let me encourage you to share the load. Don't carry it alone. At New Life Church, one of our, again, let me just say our value uh, one more time. It's we are better together. And one of the ways that we put that into practice is through life groups. Why? Because we believe we're better together. Can I encourage you, don't do life alone. And definitely don't carry the burdens that you face in your life alone. Walk with other people. And then check out what happens in verse 19. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Amazing, huh? Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. So they prayed. I mean, God's coming through. I mean, how excited are they, right? How excited would you be if you're Daniel, if all of a sudden you you prayed and then God gave you the dream? He gave you the interpretation of the dream. Unbelievable. But what would be your first reaction? Daniel's first reaction was to praise God. And then it goes on for four more verses where Daniel basically writes this song, if you will, of thanksgiving and praise to God. That's what his immediate response was. His immediate response was not run to the king and try to get himself out of this, but to breathe praise to God who just did the impossible. You see, when you really believe that you serve the God of the impossible, it overflows with the desire to choose praise over pride. And that's what Daniel shows us, to choose praise over pride. Daniel gives all the credit, all the glory to God. And so the question for me and for you is who gets the credit? Who gets the credit for the expressions of God's grace in my life? 
for how God uses you in ministry. Who gets the credit? We, you know, when someone does, man, you did an amazing job. You have an incredible gift. You have an incredible talent. If your children grow up to walk in the ways of God as adults, who gets the credit? Is it a self-righteous taking credit yourself for how amazing of a parent you are? Or does God get the credit? If you're successful in your career or your marriage, who gets the credit? When God works through you, through giving you spiritual gifts in your life, uh, who gets the credit? David models this great heart. In the midst of an impossibility, his life is on the line. God, I mean, God just gives him this vision that he knows is from God that's going to save and rescue him. And he immediately praises God. Now check out what happens. It really reinforces what we just said. Ariok quickly took Daniel to the king and said, I have found one of the captives from Judah who will tell the king the meaning of his dream. And no, notice just quickly that this guy's taking a little credit, right, with the king. Hey, I found the guy. And the king said to Daniel, is this true? Can you tell me what my dream, <clears throat> excuse me, my dream was and what it means? Let's go on to verse 27. Now, Daniel replied, there are no wise men. Check this out. I mean, get what he's saying. There are no wise men. That includes me. That's what he's saying. Daniel is saying, king, not even me. There are no wise men, magicians, enchanters, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God. Everybody say, there is a God. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. Amazing. I love this about Daniel. I love it because he, the first thing he does is he gives credit to God. The first thing he does is take any kind of spotlight off himself. He's like, I can't even do this, king, but there is a God in heaven who knows the secret dreams of kings. That's how he starts the conversation. Instead of showing off his wisdom and his intellect and his talent and how amazing he is, God's chosen prophet, he gives credit, he gives glory to God. It's unbelievable. And then he goes on, I want you to read it this week, and he reveals to the king, the dream and the meaning of the dream. The meaning of the dream is it's interesting. It talks about the end, the coming end of the king's reign and his kingdom, about some other kingdoms that will follow. The biggest uh, deal to me that he shares is about the kingdom of God. He says it's a kingdom that was not built by human hands and can never be destroyed. The amazing thing is that it all came true. I mean, Daniel is telling the king the future right now. And he doesn't have a DeLorean that he just came in on, right? He doesn't have a time machine, for those of you that didn't see that movie, to come in on. The amazing thing is that he tells the king the future, and it all came true once again, proving that he is the God of the impossible. Amazing. And then look what happened in verse 48. Then the king appointed Daniel to a high position. He gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon, as well as chief over all his wise men. God did. I want you to come back next week as we continue in this series and just hear more of the story. As God is setting up Daniel to over and over and over display that he is the God of the impossible. 
He did what he said. God did what we would say is impossible. He rescued Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel in this moment again. It's not going to be the last time. He reveals the dream and the meaning of the dream. And that should inspire great faith that if he is a God that can do anything, I can trust him no matter what I'm walking through. He will walk with you. Right now, if you're facing an impossible situation in your marriage, God is the God of the impossible. The Bible says he can do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. So ask big for God to do the impossible. He will walk with you. He is working, the Bible says, he's working all things for your good, even the impossibility you're facing right now. But one of the biggest takeaways that I believe if you can internalize this is the trust that he is in control over all the possible. God of the impossible. Wow. And that will change everything in your life. You see, there's something different about the people of God in trials who trust a big God. There should be something different about the, the son or the daughter of God when you go through something that's impossible. Trust him. How you walk will display his glory. Can you stand with me at all of our locations and Let's get ready and prepare our hearts to worship and respond to a God who can do anything. God, we thank you. We love you. We worship you. We're in awe of you. We can't believe that we have the honor to be called sons and daughters. I pray that before this moment ends that my friends and those that I don't even know that are here or listening that don't know you would be adopted, would come into your family, surrender their life to you, and receive relationship, salvation from the God of the impossible. We thank you for that. And so we pray as we worship, may we worship with a, a renewed sense that you are in control, even if things in our world seem out of control. May we trust you. May we not worry and freak out, but respond with wisdom. May we choose prayer over strategy. God, may we not go through this life alone, and may we give you all the praise instead of taking any glory for ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.